But he was, you know, really sensitive to that and was like, you know, you might want to try really hard to have a kid before you do this and, you know, was really open to me me making the decision rather than him imposing a decision. In this episode, we will talk about battling endometriosis, having supportive doctors and finding ways to soothe herself. We'll dive right into Emma Paulette's courageous story, how she navigates through her pains and learning various practices for it. Be sure to listen in for all the details. Hello, my wonderful beasties. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to the Courageous Inner Beast, the place where you feel charged and with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Emma Paulette. Hi, Emma, and please introduce yourself. Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my name's Emma, and you can probably tell from my accent, I live in Australia. Um, and I'm about to turn 50 in a couple of months, which blows my mind because I still feel like I'm a 25-year-old. <laughs> um, but um, I'm a yoga teacher, um, a personal trainer and a health coach. But I've come from a background of like living in the corporate world and living under hustle culture. So about 10 years ago, I made that big change. And I think that's got a lot to do with probably why I'm here to talk to you about my story. That's got something to do with it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So to segueing that, what is your one courageous story that you want to share with us? Yeah, so I I really wanted to share my story of having endometriosis, which is a um, very common illness for women or people born with um, female um, organs. So what happens is when you have endometriosis, um, cells that are similar to the lining of your uterus grow in other parts of your body usually in the pelvic area and apparently one in nine or one in ten women have this disease but there's varying degrees of how painful it is or how disruptive it can be in your life so for me wait so wait, um, so, like, so your body is just made up of female organs or is that i'm curious of no like... no so i just i just mean like if if people have transitioned to um like a male, but they were born with female genitalia, they could still have endometriosis. That's what I mean. So it means that the lining that's cells that are similar to what's in the lining of your uterus will grow mm. in other parts of your body. So just, it could be small patches. It could be big patches. So I had stuff growing on my bowel, which would stick my bowel to other parts of my pelvis. So it can be a really painful, um, painful illness it can also be very debilitating in terms of the amount of fatigue that it can um, give you and there's no way of diagnosing it for sure except through um, surgery so it's there's a really invasive way of finding out if you have it it can take up to like I think it's getting a bit shorter now but when I was diagnosed on average it took eight years to be diagnosed so people would say yes Wait, why so is this is it just so invisible that people don't know or is it yeah absolutely yeah and I think it's also because I hate to say it but because it's a woman's disease it's kind of like you know and it's to do with periods and menstruation and the female organs and stuff so people don't want to talk about it it hasn't affected men so it hasn't been high on the priority list to do something about um all that stuff yeah. so um it took me about eight years to be diagnosed and it, it people would say, the doctors would be like, oh, maybe you have irritable bowel syndrome. Maybe you're just not drinking enough water. Like just weird things like that. 
and really quite mm. dismissing my my symptoms and what I was going through. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it, was, it was awful. And so the way I finally got diagnosed was um, I actually had a cyst that was the size of an orange on my ovary, which your ovary is about the size of an almond, right? So there was this cyst of endometriosis that big, which is, which is uncommon. Most people don't get big cysts from endo. And that that cyst got infected. So I, in, besides having like, um, you know, the menstrual symptoms that I was having, yeah. I had this really bad infection and I was really unwell from that. And that's what made them finally realise something was going on. So I had some surgery and when, when they did the scan on my stomach, the, the, um, the person doing the scan said, has anyone mentioned cancer? And I'm like, no, <laughs> why are you saying this to me? Like, no. And, you know, obviously it wasn't, but they got me into surgery within a couple of weeks because they weren't sure. Like they were a bit worried um, that it was um, cancer, but it wasn't. So that's a good thing. But yeah. <laughs> and after I had the surgery, I remember like a few weeks after I'd recovered, I was walking down the street somewhere I'd walk every, you know, not every day, but most days. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like not to be in pain. Like I hadn't realised that I had bad days of pain, but I actually was in pain all the time. But I had just normalised that because that's how you get on with life, you know, otherwise mm -hmm. you can't. So um, some of the pain that I would get would be aches down my legs, I'd get pain in my stomach, pain in my back. Um, so after that first surgery, I'm like, this is great. I'm going to be fine. Um, but within two years, it was back and I had to have a second surgery. And this was when I was working in the corporate world. And my pain and fatigue would come in line with my period. And every day on the first day of my period, because I was very regular, would be this massive company-wide meeting every month and I would have to present at this meeting <laughs> and my managers would like ask me questions and I'd have to justify what I was doing yeah and I, I would just be in the back of my mind thinking you men have no idea <laughs> what I'm going through right now you know mm. no idea <clears throat> um so I had the second surgery and what happened was through all this time this was in my 30s um I'd always been very thin in my 20s and in my 30s my metabolism started changing and I was actually drinking a lot of alcohol because of one way of medicating my pain and my stress. Um, but I was also on lots of diets because like my stomach would blow up with bloating, but I'd be like, I don't want to look like that. So I'd go on hard diets to try and look thinner. Um, so I got really into fitness and all that sort of thing. So around this time when I was after I'd recovered from the second surgery, I was at a boxing class, an outdoor like fitness boxing class. And I decided, I love boxing. I want to do this. And so I was living in Sydney at the time and my mum lives where I live now. And I rang my mum and I said, I think I want to be a personal trainer. Can I come home and stay with you for a while? So that's what I did. I moved across the country which was one of the courageous things because I'd lived in Sydney for 15 years. I had all my friends there. I had my life there, but I knew deep down that I had to change things because I was so stressed in the corporate world. I didn't feel like I fitted in. I was dealing with this underlying illness all the time and I felt like I just needed my family support. So I left Sydney, moved across the country to where I live now in Albany 
and started a new business, started a new career at the age of 39 to become a personal trainer. And so that was a huge thing, but it meant that I was still very obsessed with body image. And I thought as a personal trainer, I've got to look perfect and all that type of thing. Um, And after that second surgery, they did use some, um, like there's a medicated IUD they can use that can help with hormones to help treat endometriosis. So I had that put in um, in the second surgery and it was there for five years. And so I had no symptoms. Wait, how does, oh, sorry, like how does the IUD, I guess, regulate or maintain your endometriosis? Yeah. Endometriosis. Yeah. How does that, how does it like regulate or maintain it with the IUD? So it has, the IUD, um, it, it, the brand in Australia is called Marina. I'm not sure if it's the same over there. Um, but it has progesterone in it, so mm-hmm. it's a hormone. Yeah. And they th- they think that endometriosis is quite estrogen dominant. So if you've got too much estrogen in your system, that might be one of the reasons why you have endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So pro- progesterone is a almost like a counterbalance to endome- to to estrogen. So if you have that progesterone being filtered through your body, then that can help um, regulate endometriosis for some people and so they usually last for about five years and so I had it for about five years and I had no symptoms um I actually didn't it doesn't yeah it means you don't have your period like it was just like this is life I have no pain and then like literally within like almost to the day of five years all the symptoms started coming back and I was like yeah literally like five or six days before the five-year mark your your body just like oh yeah no more holidays over you're way back <laughs> yeah exactly let's bring the exactly. pain back let's bring it back yes. <laughs> yeah and i'd um had a really great surgeon in um sydney and i tried to see doctors here and because endometriosis even so that's six years ago now Back then, even in the last six years, there's been a lot of information, a lot more knowledge about endo compared to then. And so when I would see my local doctor here, um, they'd be like, oh, why don't we just put you on the pill or something? And I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. Like, I've got severe endo. This has been a problem for a long time. Like, And they'll be like, oh, no, let's just wait and see. And I just knew that wasn't right. So I rang my Sydney surgeon and he he looked through all the history and he had taken photos of the last surgeries and he looked through it all and he said I remember now I remember thinking if she needs more surgery she'll need to have a hysterectomy like you it's you've got very bad endometriosis and he said to me you don't have to decide right now he and uh, this was quite a good thing I think from a surgeon he said to me I want you to think about it. I want you to breathe on it. I want you to like sleep on it. I want you to really feel into you of what's right for you because we can do lots of different things. But I think the best course of action for you is a hysterectomy. And so that's what I ended up doing. So I actually went to Sydney for the surgery and um, had to, you know, be away from my dog for like four weeks while I recovered and all that stuff which makes things harder <laughs> um so wait so was this the surgeon that you generally see in sydney and then yeah oh, okay and then how yeah. he responded oh i love that you know like he's yeah i know he gave you the space to choose versus like some doctors are like 
okay, you this, 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 done. You know? Yes. Yeah. It was really lovely. Like it was just what I needed to hear because I, you know, I was 43 at the time and I hadn't had kids. I haven't had kids. And I, I never had a massive desire to have children, but like it was, it was a kind of like if it, if it happens and it's supposed to happen, it will. And it didn't. But he was, you know, really sensitive to that and was like, you know, you might want to try really hard to have a kid before you do this. And, you know, was really open to me me making the decision rather than him imposing a decision. And so that was that was really wonderful. Yeah, it meant a lot to me. Um, so, yeah, when I was 43, because they, I'd already had one ovary removed in another surgery, so they took the second ovary and everything else. And so at 43 I went straight into menopause. And um, I, I remember being in the hospital and recovering and I was on morphine <laughs> or something, like really hardcore painkillers. But I remember getting this like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, but I do feel like it was like almost like this divine message that came to me and it said, mm. Emma, you've been punishing your body for too long. Now it's time to start loving your body. And I just took that on board because, and I'm glad I got that message then because as someone who went into menopause, for a lot of women who go into menopause, whatever age that is, their bodies change almost overnight. Like I have um, put on quite a lot of weight over the last few years and that's not because I'm lazier or, you know, eating badly. It's just because that the hormones have changed and my body shape's changed. Um, so I've really spent the last six years learning to love my body the way it is and knowing that I'm way more than the way I look, like I'm actually really smart and I'm funny and I'm caring and I'm kind. And so my outside appearance is so much less than me, you know, like I'm much more than that. Um, and so I really believe this whole uh, journey with endometriosis was kind of a way to A, help me get out of the corporate world that I hated and what was pulling me down in my self-esteem, but also learn to really accept myself and to do things that I like to do um, rather than being told what to do. So it's kind of, although it's been very painful and unfortunately that was five or six years ago, last year the endometriosis has started coming back again. And so, yeah, yeah. So I'm really unlucky oh, about I really yes yeah no we thought it was going to be a happy ending but not yet <laughs> I, was like, I was like as you were telling your story i was like like after 43 i was like <laughs> and i was like damn it i was like damn it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i have um another chronic illness which is graves disease which is to do with um, thyroid and um one of the things that can happen from graves disease is it can affect your bone health. So your, it can increase the chances of osteoporosis. And because I was had endometriosis so yeah, I'm sorry, hysterectomy so young at 43, like menopausal women have a chance of osteoporosis as well. So that's sort of doubled my risk of it. And then because I was a heavy drinker for a while, um, that can also increase your risk of osteoporosis. So my doctor, my endocrinologist was very worried about osteoporosis. So they put me on HRT because that can help hormone replacement therapy. What's HRT? Because wait, wait, so we're going back a little bit, but we're curious. Yeah, yeah. 
how yeah. is um you know when you start menopause early after the the heroes he heroes the hysterectomy yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so after you had that surgery and then how does it I guess combine is it just because after you get menopause your bones start to get more fragile over time? yeah so so estrogen again has a lot to do with bone strength so when you when you go into menopause um whether it's uh through a surgery like me or whether it's naturally basically mm-hmm. what's happening is you're not producing estrogen anymore like you're as much as you do because your ovaries do the most of the estrogen for you yeah. um you do get produce estrogen in some other parts of your body but mostly it's your ovaries so once they either are taken away or they don't work anymore which is what happens yeah. with menopause then you're not producing much estrogen and the lower levels of estrogen affect your bone strength. So that's why like they're always saying, you know, once you're over 50, make sure you're doing strength training because that helps to keep your bones strong. Like it's really important to keep your bone strength healthy. Um, Yeah. So they put me on HRT because that's hormone replacement therapy to give me more estrogen. But as I mentioned before, endometriosis is loves estrogen and it makes endometriosis flare up. So what happens is endos kind of like, they say it's kind of like weeds. So if it, there's little bits stuck, if it, even if it's a microscopic little bit still stuck there after a mm-hmm. surgery, it gets a little bit of estrogen and it's like, yeah, that's my fertiliser and it starts growing again. And so that's, that's what's happened. Um, so I'm no longer on HRT, but I still have um, quite severe endometriosis symptoms. And um, uh, because I'm in the public health system here in Australia, which is a great system, but it's just overworked at the moment. Um, So I've been waiting over six months to see a gynecologist to try and get some treatment. And I'm finally getting to see them next week. (laughs) But but it's been a long, a long wait. (laughs) Six months? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So long. Wait. And on the internet, so the first time you did it, you had, did you want to just try a different and um, treatment versus like going back to and I using an IUD? I'm just curious. Well, because it. I don't, I don't have an uterus anymore, so that's where the IUD goes. So I can't. There's nowhere to put it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah <laughs> so I'm not sure. Yeah. So they'll. I'm not sure how they're going to treat me or what's going to happen next. I really have no idea because I don't. It's it's quite uncommon to have had a hysterectomy and get endometriosis back. So I don't know anyone. I've never come across anyone else. It's not that it never happens, but I just haven't come across anyone else who has been in this situation. So I don't know what they do or how they manage it. I'm not sure. Oh, my God, you're probably, like you... oh go ahead. I was, just... was going to say probably more surgery, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, yeah. No, it just like I'm just like mind blown because if – three times like for you the first time the second time and now it's the third time mm. you yeah like it's have no words about like you're thriving and just like being resilient you know it's just like damn yeah mm-hmm. and so in in march this year around like I'd been suffering for about six months and it felt like it was escalating and getting quite bad. And because I no longer, I, I don't drink anymore. So I've been sober for three and a half years. And so this is the first time I've dealt with endometriosis without alcohol. And so I'm feeling everything, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't have a way of, yeah, I don't have like a way the, of like, like, the pain, like um... 
yeah yeah and even just mentally like I you know I would distract myself or dumb myself down with alcohol before and um I um decided because I'm a yoga teacher I the beginning of this year I started doing a course called accessible yoga so learning how to create yoga classes for all bodies um even people in wheelchairs or um you know people who are elderly or people with really large bodies, all, all of that. And a lot of what we talked about was the philosophy behind yoga because yoga is not just a physical practice. It's also like a philosophy and there's, you know, this rich thousands-year-old history and so much to know and it's like a way of life more than just a physical practice. And so I decided I was inspired by that and decided to do 365 days of yoga in a row so not just the physical practice but sometimes it's meditation or sometimes it's reading philosophy or you know things like that so I think today it's 106 days in a row that I've done some sort of yoga and I have to say it's like made a huge difference in my life because it means I've got something else to focus on so you know, I can't let go of having endometriosis. Like just two days ago, I had a day that was just awful, like awful in pain and all that sort of stuff. But it gives me something else to think about and it gives me something else to focus on. And sometimes the physical practice helps the pain. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, um, sometimes a meditation will help. Sometimes just thinking about something else will help. Um, And so I feel like, again, endometriosis has given me this little gift of where I get it's helped me come to do this 365 days of yoga. And that's been such a gift already, even after 106 days. Like I feel like I'm a calmer person. I'm a kinder person. I'm a more relaxed person. And I can accept that I have bad days, but I know they'll pass and I'll have a good day again soon sort of thing. So that's been a really wonderful gift as well. Yeah. Congratulations on on 106. Thank you. (laughs) And also, I mean, I can really feel it. Like, I mean, the moment you mentioned about um, that you already hit 106 days since the, you know, challenge of 365 days of yoga, I could feel like just, I was feeling your energy since like the beginning of our episode. And then I just feel, you know, you're telling your story. And as we're getting to this point, I could feel like the lightness and acceptance of yourself and just feeling like you said that you've been kinder and just, more relaxed and just for yourself and I feel that from you and oh that's lovely yeah it's like it's radiating and it feels amazing to to see how you're feeling right now and being where you're at and so thank you (laughs) that's really nice yeah but um yeah thank you thank you so much Emma for sharing your story it's it is Yep, it's like a whirlwind kind of thing. It's like <laughs> three times, and then it's like also like you're um you're handling it right now and you're figuring out what to do next since your appointment is next week. So fingers crossed for you. Say like what's what is the next step for you? And oh, we are here with you. We are here with you to um just be here. I'm not too sure if we can actually be cured, but just you know be okay where you're at and doing the yoga so (laughs) thank you I appreciate it I can feel that too (laughs) (laughs) um so thank you and so just kind of closing it out what is your one takeaway that you would like to share to our audience 
I think one of the things I'd like to say is, or the one thing I'd like to say is you just never know what other people are going through. So like I spend a lot of my time teaching people and being positive and I'm, I don't feel like it's toxic positivity, po- toxic positivity. I feel <laughs> like it's genuine, but you know, you wouldn't know necessarily looking at me that I'm going through so much. And I think that's something just to always remember is you just don't know what other people are going through. And if someone is a bit rude to you in a supermarket queue or, you know, pushes in front of you, you don't know what's going on for them. So I'd love people to just remember that and default to kindness if they can and just think, well, maybe they're having a really rough time and I'll let that go. It's not a big deal. I think that's something I'd love to say. Thank you for sharing that. No, I agree. Everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own struggles. Like you said, just any other day, just be kind to everyone, yeah, yeah. even if they're being shitty with you. So, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Emma, for joining us. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review wherever you're listening And look out for new episodes every Tuesday on The Courageous Inner Beast. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed our conversation and would like to learn more about Emma Paulette, please look in the description for more information and for the links.